Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League, powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. All right, fresh off of his chickpea diet and an NHL Stanley Cup, Nathan McKinnon is now the highest paid player in the NHL. And what I will say is, Nathan McKinnon, we are currently experiencing some troubleshooting issues here on the podcast with a broken wire. So for anyone listening here, um, we're going to have to improvise a bit today. But if Nathan can somehow donate 100 bucks to the UFR setup, he will still be the highest paid player in the NHL by $99,900. We're going to start off talking here about the Nathan McKinnon signing. Um, obviously, re-extension to the Colorado Avalanche. Eight years by $12.6 million. Um, Steph, initial thoughts about the deal. Honestly, I think the deal is good. I just want to quickly echo your sentiment because we're we're struggling right now, technology-wise. So Nate, come over. We'll give you a little interview. Give us a wire, and we're good to go. Nothing, nothing crazy, nothing crazy in terms of our requests. But on a more serious note, I love the fact that he that he took the extra hundred grand. I love that pettiness to be the highest played player in the league. Even though we all know in a year he's no longer going to be, but I just love the fact that he went out of his way to make that happen. Um, yeah, in reality though, like he's worth every dollar. He's he's definitely worth even more than that. He's definitely he was probably worth if the cap wasn't the way the cap is. He's probably worth fourteen, fifteen million just based off his value. What he does, um, he's one of the top five players in the league at least we had actually we had a tiktok go up a couple of days ago a lot of people thought for whatever reason he wasn't even a top five player i guess we're watching different sports but he's definitely a top five player um i know and some more analytical stuff in the league to sorry and more analytics to talk about but on face value this is a great deal eight years 12.6 they're getting his prime and i don't think that i think both sides won because he's gonna he's making his money crazy amount of money and the Avs got him at a pretty reasonable price. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like when we start off looking at his offensive stats, he's in the 97th percentile of wins above replacement for all forwards in the NHL. He's, he's an absolute beast offensively. I think anybody who's watched him play ever knows how good he is as an offensive player. The problem is, is that when we start looking at defense, I mean, he's in the bottom 10th percentile in terms of wins above replacement for all forwards, which I mean, as a center, there is more responsibility for you in the defensive zone. And that's honestly one of the reasons why that we say that Austin Matthews currently, I think, has the edge over him because of that defense capability but we're not going to talk about that today overwhelmingly even though Nathan McKinnon isn't great in his own zone he's worth every bit of that 12.6 when you look at his ability to drive play primary assist chance assist primary shot assist high danger shot passes in zone shot shot assist excuse me rush shot assist zone entries exits shot contributions this guy's in the upper 90th percentile of literally all of those stats he knows how to get it done and one of the biggest reasons why i think he deserves to be the highest paid player in the nhl right now is because of that performance he put on in the in the stanley cup man that guy knew how to take over games i've brought this up a lot of times but it just keeps bringing me back to that memory of that i think that game six goal that he scored no game five goal game five goal that he scored in overtime where he went end to end against st louis the guy's a game breaker and you want to pay big money for guys that can take over a game 
I mean, he's everything you'd expect him to be. Finisher, play driver, unbelievable offensively. We can go on and on. And I do think that you can teach defense better than you can teach offense. Being offensively um, capable like that is a gift. I, I believe it's tough to teach, and we all know that. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and I'll get your opinion about first, is that when I talked about or broke the Nathan McKinnon um, contract signing on TikTok, I called it both the highest paid contract in NHL history in the cap area era, which is objectively true. And then the second one is that it is still, I think, a team friendly deal. We got a lot of hate saying that or not hate comments saying that you can't be on a team friendly deal if you have the highest paid contract in the NHL. Like, what are your thoughts about it? Do you think it's a team friendly deal? I think it's I can understand why there was maybe pushback because it does seem counterintuitive to say he's the highest paid player in the league and also at a really team friendly cap. It just doesn't sound like both can be true, but I I do agree with you. If he's providing 15 and a half, 14, whatever you want to call it, a million dollars worth of value and he's getting paid just over 12 and a half, that is by definition a team friendly deal and a discount on what he's actually worth in the open market. And I think the the, the the Avalanche, sorry, are very lucky that, that they're still in a cap and a flat cap because if it wasn't, if this was, say, two years down the road, he would be getting an in, a significant upgrade on his $12.6 million. The fact that McDavid got 12.5 five years ago and he could only basically get 12.6 to become the highest highest paid player is, like, goes to show how much a cap actually influences deal and that's really not what his true market value would be so i think both can be true definitely sounds weird so i understand why there's not not necessarily pushback but maybe a little bit of disagreement on that but i know i definitely think that you can be simultaneously providing more value than your contract while also being the highest paid player in the league we see that in other sports all the time too i would say yeah one thing that i can't believe is that they got him on 12.6 by eight years he first said that he was going to take a discount and then i think winning the cup made him change his mind where he said you know i now want to be the highest paid player I wonder if they didn't win that cup, if he would take a discount. I still think he did take a discount. I think the, the cap is projected to rise like $10 million in the next three to four years because I think they're going to push it up with, with all the, the, the stagnancies that happen in COVID. We know now, like we've talked about this on the podcast, that a point-per-game player right now in the NHL is making between 8 and $9 million, right? We saw Tim Stutzla be making 8 We saw Kyrou making 8 Those guys are not point-per-game players, but they will be in the near future. Right, but Kevin Fiala is making eight point something, and he's a he's a point per game player. You don't think in three years that a guy make a guy scoring at a point per game pace is going to be playing is going to be making 10, 10 something, and they're going to get Nathan McKinnon, who's on pace for a hundred points every single year at twelve point six. Like this is such a team friendly deal. In three years, when he's putting up a hundred points every year, like it's gonna it's gonna be an absolute steal. I do think that um, this allows the Colorado Avalanche to make um, a, a lot more cup runs considering that they lost a lot of depth this year. I think that 12.6 means that in about three years when the cap goes up, they can go and replenish that depth that they lost with Burakovsky, with Kadri, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I love this deal. I think Joe Sackett keeps winning. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see what they do. Yeah, Joe Sackett is, I think he is almost like the new Stevie Y. Everyone was so, um, rightfully so, Loved Stevie Y because he was making great deals. Tampa, those those cup, those cup teams have his fingerprints all over them. Breezeball did did a great job to get them to that next level, but we all know Stevie Y was the foundation of that team. I think Dosaka is showing that he's an incredible um, GM as well. So we're gonna stick in the Central. We talk we're talking a lot about how the Avalanche are one of the best run teams 
that we can think of in recent memory. And now we're going to move over into Canada to a team who seems to be in free fall. Seem to be like they're in a bit of trouble. Um, the Jets, they seem like a true disaster right now. They had like a pretty underwhelming offseason uh, that didn't really help to resolve any of the issues that they clearly had going into this offseason. First started out by missing out on Barry Trotz after everyone was certain that he was going to go there. They had to settle. Let's call it what it is. It's a settle. They had to settle for Rick Bonus, who's he's a fine coach, but he's not Barry Trotz, and he wasn't their first option. Everyone knows that. They then went out and they stripped their captain of the C three weeks before the season starts, and he's still there. Like there is so much going on. I can get into Blake Wheel a little bit, but I just want to. When I say Winnipeg Jets, like what comes to your mind now, two weeks before the season starts? Yeah, I think the words dysfunction. Um, the coach came in there, Rick Bonus, must have seen the crazy divide in the room. And the reason why I say that is because the first thing that you do as a newly appointed coach in the NHL is not strip a tenured captain of his captaincy. Like, that's the last thing you want to do. He must have gone in there, seen the crazy divide in that locker room, seen that Wheeler had lost the room a while ago. So the first thing he does, he strips Blake Wheeler of the captaincy. What was it, like weeks into his, into his tenure as a coach of the Winnipeg Jets? Like, when we look at this team, the Winnipeg Jets, like, I don't know. Like they're not bad, but they're not great. They have a top six, seven, six to seven goalie in the league. I would say in net. Like Connor Hellebuck had a bad year last year, but I still think most GMs would put him within the top seven or top six or whatever you want to call it. Defensively, they're pretty bad. I mean, the top six I used to think was one of the better in the league, but now that when I look at it, I don't know if that's true anymore. Like they got Shifley, who had a bad year last year, still one of the better centers in the NHL, although he doesn't know how to play defense. Nikolai Ehlers is one of the premier goal scorers in the league. Same with Kyle Connor. Blake Wheeler isn't the player that he used to be. Wheeler's aging. I mean, Stastny's gone. Andrew Kopp's gone. Like they're also in the central division. Like they have no chance of making the playoffs this year. And the last thing I ever want to be as not only a podcaster, as an NHL fan is to count teams out. Like I want to see teams do well, but in the central, they got Colorado, St. Louis, Minnesota, and Nashville that are just levels better. Right. And one, the reason why I gave those four teams is because one of them has to be in the wild card because three of them will win in the division. And the two other will come from the Pacific. And I would think at least two of the five of Calgary, Edmonton, LA, Vancouver, and Vegas are better. Right. So when you look at it, probably um, not probably the Winnipeg Jets are not making the playoffs. They're not. So what does that mean? I mean, I think they have to blow this team up like they're not good enough to win. They you, you made a great point about this when we started talking about the Jakob Chikorin deal a while ago, a while ago about trading, where I said to you, why would they trade Jakob Chikorin for, for players now when he's he's clearly going to be sold um, at a value that isn't great for what he is? And you said, you made a great point. You said, because they can get assets for him now versus not getting them later. And I think the same can be true about Nikolai Ehlers, about Kyle Connor. The last thing you want is for these guys who aren't exactly incredibly young anymore to turn into aging type players like Blake Wheeler when your team is bad, when you could have gotten first round picks for them. Like if you trade Ehlers, Connor, maybe even and Shifley, who kind of looks like he's already one foot out the door. I mean, you could get three first round picks for these guys and just start over. Maybe the only guy you keep is Hellebuck. You could even get rid of him too. I don't know. What are your thoughts moving forward? I, I do get the sense that it eventually will end in a blow up of, of the core. I think that's just such a tough decision to make because Winnipeg is a smaller market and you have good players like they do have I think it's just it's tough to to go back and and, and to then tr almost like erase all the work that you did not erasing it but you are getting rid of these players that you came really close with too let's not forget that they they made a deep run in 2018 almost got to the cup final 
they lost to that fantasy Vegas team who went magic went on a magical run. I think it's just so tough. And especially when it's the same GM that brought all those guys there. Shavu has been there since day one. So it's really difficult for a GM to go back and, and sort of blow a team up that he built. And understandably, right? He's like, you have an attachment to that team that's like your baby. That's the one that you made. And so to go have to go back and blow it up will probably be tough. If they make a GM change in season or next summer, then I would... Without a doubt, I would believe that they're going to blow it up. I just have a hard time seeing this management team who's been there the whole time and now decide, okay, we're going to blow them up. I think if the owners see from above or the president, I don't know if they have a president of hockey ops, but their owner sees, okay, this core clearly can't get it done. We've got to move on. They're going to start at the top and they're going to make, get a new GM and let him sort of blow it up. Um, but I do think that that, that they are they are close to, to having it blown up. I just want to quickly um, circle back to the get to Wheeler getting stripped of the captaincy. Like this just seems so it's such a volatile situation. I think the last time we see we saw a captain or one of the more recent ones was when Joe Thornton got stripped and they gave it to Pavelski and the Thornton stuck around. That seemed that that was a very amicable situation where Thornton maybe realized, okay, I'm on my way down. Pavelski's great. Um he's my friend like and I want to stay here. So it makes sense to pass the torch and stick around and still be a leader but not the leader. That this doesn't seem like that was the case. Like Wheeler seemed very salty. He had some quotes after saying, "Oh, I don't need to see for people to know that I'm the leader in this locker room." Shifley was surprised by it, and those two, we know they're buddies. We know that a lot of the toxicity in that room seems to stem from them. Maybe not, we don't know it, but we have a pretty good inkling based on some reporting and based on some of the things that have come out of that, come out of the Jets organization. So I think as long as they're still there, it doesn't matter if they both don't have letters it's because there's going to be a problem so like you said like Andrew just said maybe it is time to blow them up because you know um you can't do anything if they're still around it's just a really weird situation um and i kind of feel bad for rick bonus too like you said comes into this situation i don't know if that was solely his decision but he definitely had to sign off on it definitely had to see something wrong and say okay yeah this is the right thing to do um but yeah it's a disaster in winnipeg right now it's interesting to see What's going to come of it? I don't think they're a playoff team. Um, I think they're going to struggle this season. Um, so, yeah, well, let, let's just quickly actually, let's stick in Canada um, because we have a very exciting interview today. We had the, the opportunity to talk to um, Leafs fan MD for those who are on hockey TikTok, one of the bigger Leafs creators. Um, so, we're going to stick in Canada. We're going to talk about the Leafs. We asked him some questions of what we think heading into, what he thinks heading into the season, what, what he expects of the Leafs. And then we're going to come back and we're going to, we're going to talk about the Canucks. So just a little tease about the Canucks. So we'll, we'll join Massimo for our interview now, and then we'll come back talking a little bit about the Canucks. So for this episode, we are really, really excited to be joined by one of the, I would say, most popular and probably one of the best as well, creators on TikTok in the Leafs community. Many of you um, might know him as Leafs Fan MD. Um, we're really, really happy to have him on. He's going to we're going to talk a lot about Leafs, so for those non-Leafs fans, sorry in advance, but we're really excited to have him on. Massimo, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for that amazing intro. appreciate it. No worries. So we're going to start off with a little bit of a downer topic. Um, some injuries the Leafs have had heading into the season. Lilligren, Engvall, Muzzin, Tavares, you name it. Everyone seems to be getting hurt. Um, does this concern you at all heading into the season, and do you think the Leafs will struggle as a result? Well, first off, I think they're going to have the worst October in franchise history. 
because usually what's happened with the Leafs in the uh, previous years of the, the turnover, you know, people coming in, people coming out, is they need tra- uh, training camp to gel and find chemistry. And because of last season, they didn't get that, you know, players were injured, the lines were a blender. And so because of that, they had like, what, a five-game losing streak, including a 7-1 loss to Pittsburgh. I think they're, they're going to struggle to find uh, chemistry early, but I think once they get going, they'll be fine. Certain injuries do concern me, especially when we talk about Jake Muzzin and back injuries. Uh, back injuries for me, as if you're an NHL athlete and you have a back injury, that's that could really ruin your career. You look at Jake Gardner, you look at PK Subban, like it's it's really scary. So you just gotta manage his minutes, make sure he takes care of his back, and hopefully don't put too much responsibility on him. Um, as for the others, I'd rather they happen now than later in the season. And you know, Engvall and Lilligren, they all suck, but it's uh it uh, adds more opportunity for other guys to try and make an uh, impression. So I, I'm, I obviously, I hate the injuries, but I'd rather they happen now than later in the season. Yeah. That's all super fair. One of the things you mentioned is like this aspect of people coming in and out of the lineup. I don't think that could be more true for the defensive core. We've even seen um, at the beginning of this preseason, it looks like, and it even looks like at the start of the season as well, all of these um, first six defensive matchups are going to be different. One of the things I want to talk to you about is that the least recently signed, um, Rasmus Sandin to that contract that I think is almost identical, if not identical to the Lilligren deal. He held out yep. for a really long time. And I thought that meant that he wanted a, either a longer term or a bigger AAV. Got none of that. I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the contract and if you think he's going to take a step this season. I think it's a great contract for him. Uh, the general consensus is he shouldn't have signed it because it's, it's tremendous value for the Leafs. And it's honestly, it, Sandin came to the point where obviously he saw his teammates getting injured. And instead of being like, well, Kyle, your guys are injured. You need me, offer me more money. Instead, he wanted to be like, Kyle, you need me. I'll sign the contract. I'll be the solution, not the problem. So I, I rate him for that. He said he wants to retire leaf. So I, I love him for that too. You know, great things, saying great things. That's uh, media training coming in handy there. But it really depends on what, uh, he, what role he plays coming into the season. Giordano mainly plays power play two, but they could also experiment with two defensemen on power play two with Giordano and Sandine because Sandine's not playing power play one with Morgan Riley still existing. Um, I'd like to see him take a step in terms of he was great in sheltered minutes. Like he was one of the best third pairing defensemen in the league, right? Uh, last season when, before he got injured, but I want to see if he can do it in uh, top four minutes against uh, tougher competition and longer time on ice. So I'm excited to see how he plays this season. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to to see as well. Hopefully, like a sh- hopefully a shortened training camp doesn't come back to bite him. But he's a young guy, so hopefully he can get going pretty quickly. Yeah. But since we're on the topic of defense, we'd be crazy not to at least talk a little bit about this Mitch Marner on defense thing that's been floating around. Um, since Keith made those comments, I know it sounds a little crazy, but what are your thoughts on Mitch playing D this season at times? Well, first off, I think uh, the entire National Hockey League needs to get more creative when it comes to positionless hockey. Like, I think there's a ton of players who are playing a position just because they played it for so long. Like, you're telling me Tyson Berry's a defenseman? No, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. Um, Mitch Marner is one of those forwards who can uh, play defense, and I wouldn't be too scared because, yeah, he's really – like, if he was a center, I think he would have won a Selkie by now. He's got really good instincts when it comes to the defensive side of the game. That's why he's one of our best penalty killers. That's why we trust him in late game scenarios when it comes to killing uh, off penalties or defending a lead. I don't think he's going to be like starting the game as a defenseman. I don't think 
he'll they'll they'll use him as that or um only maybe if someone's injured and like they can't afford to call up another defense and so they'll be like hey mitch your defense for this game i don't think that'll end too badly i think the league will laugh at us but i don't understand why they're laughing at us like they're just scared of change um i'm all for positionless hockey i think it should be explored more and uh the possibility of mitch marner on the ice uh, in late game scenarios as a defenseman it works uh so well because it's you're you're putting yourself at a great advantage of tying up a game without pulling your goalie. So you could have Riley Marner on the blue line, and then you could have Matthews Tavares Nylander without pulling your goalie. That's not fair for the other team. So you are still trying to tie up a game, but you're not jeopardizing losing the game as a whole if you get scored on the empty net. So I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it too. Uh, towards the the latter stuff that you said, I think that's what Keith is going to want to do. I don't. I really doubt they're going to play him a full 60 minutes on the defensive end, but I think playing him defensively for the last 10 minutes is more so like that Tyson Berry type defensiveless hockey in the third period when you're down by a goal is probably what's going to end up happening. And yeah, I'm honestly, I'm honestly interested to see how that happens as well. Um, moving on, you know, as all Leaf fans have PTSD year in, year out, we're back at it again, starting October. The Leafs are fresh off another first, first round exit. We ask this question every single year with the season starting in just under two weeks. Like what are your expectations like before you answer, what I'll say is that I'm a bit, I'm a bit worried because I, I don't know about you, but it seems like this is the first time that the Leafs in like five years might have gotten worse, especially in the goaltending era. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see what you have to say about this and, and your expectations overall. Well, I think we'll, we're only going to know if they got worse 20 games of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the general consensus that they got worse comes from the fact that they lost a lot of goals in the, the depth department. You see offensive guys leaving and you see them replace them with defensive guys. You're not too, you're not a big fan of it, but if you actually break it down analytically, they only lost like six goals per game. Uh, it's, it's obviously, you know, not six goals per game, sorry, six goals a season. So only six goals. Uh, the depth is a massive uh, factor like McKayev and Kasha. Those guys played a huge role, but defensively last season, they weren't really that like impressive when it comes to the bottom six. So Sure, they lost the offense in the bottom six, but they replaced it with a much needed uh, category they need to improve on, which was defense. And I think you're going to need to improve on the defense with the goaltending you have. The goaltending does concern me, of course, Matt Murray uh, being kind of, I guess you could say, uh, unproven until uh, from last season. And, you know, Sam Sonov taking the bet on himself contract. Um, that really concerns me. I think one of them is going to get injured and one of them is going to be a backup with uh, Eric Schaller and it's going to be a tandem. It's going to be an interesting case scenario, but it doesn't concern me as much as other fans because I look at last season and we had really, really bad goaltending and we still managed to finish fourth. So like these guys need to be like a 905 combined and we'll be fine. Yeah, I think that's true. There's a little bit of people blowing the least goaltending situation. I think it's it is a concern, but like you said, as long as they get average um, goaltending or even just below average, we've shown that they can be like okay, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm not like too concerned, but we'll see if they really can't stop a puck, then we're in trouble. But we have to wait and see, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, talking about the depth, like one thing that Kyle Dubas has been really, really good at is finding depth. And speaking of Kyle Dubas, he's not going into the season with a contract extension. All this talk about his future assuming the season doesn't go terribly and they don't miss the playoffs, let's say right now, would you be open to keeping Kyle Dubas around with a contract extension? Or do you think maybe it's time for a change if they can't take a step in the playoffs this season? You see, it's really tough because 
it's hard to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect change. So at one point I am like, if they can't get out of the first round again, then something has to change. Something's going to give Kyle's probably going because he's in that extension, but it's really hard to also be like, look at what he's done. Look at the team he's built with such slim margins. He's done so well in that department, probably the best in the league when it comes to filling out a roster with nothing to fill it out with. Um, I'm pretty sure there was a stat where like some of the first, not some of, but the majority of the first round opponents Leafs played, they either went on to win the cup or go in the, the final. So they're, they're like, they're right there. There's no reason to believe that they're not right there. They're definitely right there. But I've always said until they make it out of the first round, they'll never get any credit. But the second they make it out of the first round, they'll be unstoppable. And they'll probably make it to the cup final and lose in seven because least fan. But anyway, um, it's really, to answer your question, I don't have an answer. I don't really understand what to do if they don't make it out of the first round because you would be making a change sure would it be positive change i don't know i really trust kyle dubas in most aspects of the general manager job especially you know drafting filling out a roster the offseason moves that he's made uh trade deadline trades you could get better at for sure um but i don't know man i i wouldn't be in favor of letting go of someone who would be replaced Someone who would uh, NHL teams would not hesitate to bring him into their their uh, front offices at all. Yeah, that that's very true. I think if Kyle Dubas got fired, he'd be hired like almost instantaneously. I, I agree with you. I'm I'm a big Kyle Dubas fan. I think he's done very well throughout his tenure with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But one thing this offseason that I don't want to use the word criticize, but it's been talked about is that they really didn't go out and get a second line winger to finish up that second line with Tavares and Nylander. There's been a lot of talk as to who is going to be that left winger. I've heard things like Nick Robertson, heard things like Callie Yarncroft. I'm kind of interested to hear your thoughts. Who do you think should slot in in that second line wing? And it can be a player that's like on the, on the open market right now. So about a week ago, um, I wouldn't have said Nick Robertson, but right now he's looking pretty good. Um, I still have my concerns as if he can keep up with Nylander in transition at five on five, if he can stick around at that line at five on five with his skating ability, but certainly in the offensive zone, he seems to have gotten way better. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Cal Yarncroft there. Uh, Kerfoot, if he plays there again, I might shoot myself. Kerfoot Tavares Nylander Hmm. doesn't work and we know it doesn't work. So I, I, I don't want to see it anymore. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Dennis Mulligan there. I honestly think it's going to be a, an open door. And I think if there's no solution by the deadline, there probably will be after the deadline. And I think that's another thing we got to remember is a Stanley Cup team isn't built in the offseason. It's built by the deadline. So it really depends. I think Kyle Dubas has opened the door for opportunity to play a second line left winger. There's a bunch of guys who could play there. Even Pure Engvall, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing there. I think a Swedish guy with Nylander in between Tavares, speed, Tavares, speed. I think that would work too. But Dubas has left the door open for competition. And if no one can fill the role, then I'm sure he'll fill it by the deadline. Yeah, that's that's true. And on your, your mentioning of Dubas needing to get better at deadline trades, like maybe this is one where he can like really make a name for himself as terms of somebody who can make a trade at the deadline. Definitely wouldn't be opposed to adding some more like star power to their top six. And then yeah. they'll be it'll be a wrecking ball if they can figure it out. Um, when, so last question, like we said, we like to end it off sometimes with a fun question, maybe one that gets people thinking. Um, when we had Kyle Cushman on, we asked him about Kachuk to the Leafs because that was the, the rumor was Kachuk was, that's when he would requested that trade out of Calgary. We know that Patty Kane's eventually getting traded. We, 
you know, we may have heard that the Leafs are maybe not his preferred destination, but just in theory, in this hypothetical world that we like to live in, what are your thoughts on Patty Kane maybe being that solution on the second line? I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, you know, there's some character issues there, I think, but I think the rumor that he wouldn't want to play in Toronto is, I don't really believe it because I don't see Patty Kane being like, yeah, I don't want to play with Austin Matthews. No, I don't want to do that. Like, those are potentially the two greatest American hockey players of all time. Why would he not want to play together? Um, I think that would force something to change because, like, I can't see a world where Patty Kane isn't playing on the same wing as Austin Matthews. Only problem is Mitch Marner is also a right winger. So unless Kane can play left wing, then, oh, my God, that's the best first line in the league. And then you got Bunting, Tavares, Nylander, and that's even better. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him in a Leafs jersey. Obviously, character issues, but we'll see how that works out. Uh, Cap is also a concern, so they're going to have to get a third team in there to make that trade. But um, I don't believe that he wouldn't want to play beside Austin Matthews, personally. Yeah, that, that's right. Like I, I know there's lots of comments about American players not wanting to come to Canada, but he can leave in, in three months if he can leave with a cup ring and yeah. getting a chance to play with Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner. Like, who would say no to that? I don't know. Um, but that's a really like well thought out answer. I, I didn't necessarily think about the character issues. That could be a thing. Like we know there's been some issues in Chicago recently, and Dubis does seem really like set on bringing in players who fit sort of the characters that that they like to have in the locker room. So that's actually an angle I didn't necessarily yeah. consider. Um, I'll tell you this: I'm pretty sure, like I'm more than certain that if the Leafs are in a position at the deadline to acquire top six forward, there'll be so many rumors that Kane's going to Toronto, and then he'll probably end up going to Edmonton or the Rangers or something. That would be like the that would be the worst outcome if he goes to Edmonton. I would yeah. rather him like go to any other team, I think. But we'll we'll wait for that day. I'm not gonna get stressed in uh, in October about a March problem, but it'll be interesting to kind of see how mm-hmm. that situation unfolds in general. Um, but I think we're good. We're good in terms of our questions. We that was a hell of an interview for us. We really enjoyed that. Finally getting the chance to connect with you. We've both been kind of watching your stuff on TikTok for a while now. Um and so just quickly before we wrap up, why don't you let our, our listeners know if they don't already know where to find you, like where can they find your content? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I am Luis MD from TikTok. Uh, I also have a podcast that's titled The Offsiders Podcast. And I'm recently uh, decided to delve into the world of YouTube content creation. So right now my uh, channel is NHL Fan MD. I know, very, very creative. It might change to Luis Fan MD Plus because that uh, page is going to be for me to um, make longer in-depth videos. So mm-hmm. as of recently, I made a TikTok about the least bottom six and how they revamped it and they finally have a defined purpose and the, like they have a role. And that's only three minutes long because that's all I can do on TikTok because yeah. people go on TikTok, they don't want to watch five minute videos, right? So it's about uh, engagement. And so you had a release fan MD plus, you see an eight minute video or a 10 minute video, you know what you're getting yourself into. And so, yeah, if I ever want to ramble about a Leafs topic this season, it'll probably be on that YouTube account. Amazing. We're both really looking forward to that. Good luck with that. I'm sure it's going to be nothing but successful. Um, Appreciate it. And for those listening who want longer form content, please go check them out. Check them out on TikTok. You know where to find them now. Um, And with that, Massimo, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And um, hopefully this won't be the first time that we have you on. Hopefully there's, there's more to come in the future. Yeah, I'd love to come by. This is a fun of ton of fun. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. We're just going to take a brief minute to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, Jaded Collective. 
calling all entrepreneurs and all business owners. Here at Jada Collective, we understand that image is everything. The way you represent your company not only reflects you, but also your hard work. If you're just starting up, getting your name out there is huge for new clientele because first impressions are important not only in business, but also in life. Jada Collective is the perfect one-stop shop for all your marketing needs. We offer promotional products and services, content creation, and all of your marketing, branding, and events needs. We are there every step of the way from the first call until product completion. We will work with you to ensure your vision is brought to life. You can find us on Instagram at at jadedcollective or email us at jadedcollective at gmail.com or call Joey at 416-676-4411 to get a free quote or to see some of our work, which, like a podcast host, it speaks for itself. We are excited to work with you and eager to make you another one of our happy clients. Let us handle all that so you can sit back, relax, and listen to some podcasts just like this. So call or email Joey at Jaded Collective because believe me, you'll be mad that you waited. Yeah, once again, just thanks to Massimo for that awesome interview. I'm really excited to see what the Leafs look like heading into next season. But, you know, we stuck in Canada for Winnipeg. We stuck in Canada for the Leafs. Let's round out this trifecta by sticking in Canada again. We're going to head out west to Vancouver. The reason why we're talking about Vancouver this week is because after the JT Miller signing, they have now officially locked up their first and second line center um, to big-time contracts with um, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson. I think Elias Pettersson is getting paid relatively well right now. Um, and there's a lot of talk that um, Bo Horvat might not be able to fit under the cap. Um, he, I think he's going to get an extension within the next two, three years, but they might not be able to pay him. We're going to talk about whether we think um, Bo Horvat should get traded or just what the Canucks should do in general. I mean, the Canucks are another team like Winnipeg who are way less dysfunctional, I think way more attuned to making the playoffs. Um, but they're kind of in that purgatory state where they're not a superstar team, but they're also not a team that is a, is going to be a lottery team. So here's what I think about what the um, what the Canucks could do. And um, I'll keep in mind that I am also a closeted Canucks fan. Um, I got a lot of friends who are Vancouver Canucks fans, and I would expect them to be listening to this episode because it seems like certain people only listen when we talk about the Vancouver Canucks, but you know, you know who you are. Um, hopefully it gets a laugh out of that one. Um, look, I've said it time in and time out. It's time for the Vancouver Canucks to do something and make a playoff push. You cannot pay a third-line center on a competing NHL Stanley Cup team $5.5 million when he's only going to get maybe 10 or 11 minutes a night. And while Bo Horvat is the captain, I'm sure he's going to get more. At the end of the day, guys, got to, in my opinion, that are getting paid 5.5 to $6 million plus should be playing in your top six. And because that centerman death is really good in Vancouver right now, I, I, I would kind of be open to the trading of Bo Horvat. And this is why I'm saying it. Bo Horvat, when he signed that deal, it was an immediate success. He like was unbelievable. He was a hardworking player, was scoring goals. And I think that's why he got the captaincy as well. He looked way more mature than Pedersen and Besser, which is why they gave him the captaincy. But there's been a lot of stats that I've seen on Twitter about Bo Horvat, Bo Horvat excuse me, that compare his wins above a replacement throughout his career compared to his cap hit expected wins above replacement. And what that means for anyone that doesn't know is the cap hit expected wins above replacement. Exactly what it seems like. It's based off of his percent contribution to their to the Vancouver Connects cap, what the average player in the NHL is contributing to a wins above replacement. Starting off earlier in his career, Bo Horvat was exceeding that like overwhelmingly. He was getting so underpaid 
was contributing wins above replacement like crazy. But since the year 2018-19, all the way up until now, we have seen a steady decline in Bo Horvat's play. Now, while I still think that he's one of the better second-line centers in the NHL, um, that's just it. He, he's not getting, he's going to be getting paid way too much as a third-line center on a team that needs to compete. And another reason why I think that you might want to think about trading him is there was a lot of rumors last year, which turned out to not be confirmed that JT Miller and Bo Horvat were, you know, kind of butting heads about who the de facto captain was in that locker room. Like, look, JT Miller got paid eight by eight this year. JT Miller's probably the de facto captain in that organization. He's going to be the one playing first line center. I think you got to give him the C. And I think now's the time to trade Bo Horvat for some assets so you can use those assets to fix that blue line because past Quinn Hughes, there's not much left. Yeah, I like how you brought up that little supposed beef that he has with JT Miller because I think I think that's important because if that's true and when the, where there's smoke, there's fire usually. Um, they committed to JT Miller real early. Not real early, but before they committed to Bo Horvat at a big number. So clearly that's their guy moving forward. They want to they'd rather build around JT Miller than build around Bo Horvat. And I think that that sends a bit of a message. Um, it's t- it's tough because he, like you said, he is there. He is our captain. It's hard to move on from a captain in season. Um, it's hard to move on from a captain at all. But that might be the move that they have to take. And I'm not. I'm not sure how it's gonna play out. They also, they also came out and they basically said, I don't know if this was Rutherford himself or Patrick Alvin or somebody that said that they'll, they'll, they will trade him if they don't have a, um, a a contract extension done by the trade deadline, which is which is coming out and that's saying something. I don't know if that's a public negotiation tactic to get Horvat to accept less because now it's like, oh, you know, we had an offer on the table and you didn't accept it and now they want to make him look like the bad guy. I don't know if that's sort of the approach that they're taking, but it does seem like they will be at some point open to trading him. Um, but I think it changes if they're in a playoff spot. Let's be real. If they're in a playoff spot, come come trade deadline. Like, do you really think they're going to be trading their captain in season? Right? So, like, I don't know. Like, let, let me ask you. If you are... Um, Jim Rutherford, Patrick Ovi, and that team, and you and you're in the beginning of March, and you're battling for a wild card spot. Are you are you trading Bo Horvat before you have a contract? Before you have a contract, or are you risking, um, or are you or sorry, or are you trying to um, fight for a playoff spot? Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah, that's a tough question. So you're saying if I am, we are on the cusp of a playoff spot, and I have the chance to trade Bo Horvat, am I going to do it? Yeah, like, are you gonna? trade him because that was what you said at the beginning of the season or are you going to say no we have to push for a playoff spot yeah I mean at the end of the day I think NHL teams are trying to compete for the Stanley Cup obviously I would hope that's the ultimate incentive of an NHL team so I mean if Bo Horvat is contributing to the Vancouver Canucks enough for me to keep him at a 5.5 million dollar cap hit heading into the playoffs well then yeah I'm going to pl- I'm, I'm not going to trade him one of the reasons why I wanted to say trade him is because I just don't think there's going to be enough of a contribution there based off of the, the stats that I just brought up I mean he's not exactly contributing uh, compared to the player that um, was named captain three four years ago and, and not only that he's just not going to get enough minutes I don't know if Bo, Hor- Bo Horvat can play the wing um, I think him Pedersen and Miller are all purebred centers which means one of them is playing on the third line it's not going to be the young phenom that you want to develop into a superstar it's not going to be the guy you just gave eight by eight that was a point off nine a hundred it's going to be Bo Horvat so at the deadline if he's only playing nine or ten minutes and there's still that controversy I would maybe think about trading him just because the differential that he's adding to your team possibly isn't big enough to warrant not going out and getting a couple first round picks for them and maybe flipping them two days later for like a Jakob Chikorin or something like that I know I bring up Jakob Chikorin a lot but um those trade talks are getting back in and out just because um 
I think he's the key to a lot of teams um, trying to make a push. Yeah, it's actually a good point because at five and a half million, if he is on their third line and they can't find a way to work him into their top six, at what point is it just, okay, let's cut our losses and we'll use, not necessarily cut our losses, but let's move on and let's use that five and a half million elsewhere if they have someone who can step into that third line center or they can maybe make a separate trade to bring in someone who makes less money. I don't know how they're going to approach it, but maybe they do actually make a trade in season or at the deadline to sort of work around that, free up some cap space, get get a cheaper guy in, and then make a move on D. Because like you said, yeah, their D is pretty, uh, pretty underwhelming to say the least. But I, I just keeping it like general over the Canucks, I think like you said, they're such an interesting team to follow because they came out of this rebuild. They had guys like Pedersen, they had Hughes, Demko, even Horvat when he was like, young and up and coming, Besser as well. Um, and now they're just sort of like this average team. Like you said, they're, are they, can, can we see them fighting for a wild card spot? Absolutely. But can we also see them missing the playoffs? Unfortunately, yeah, I think we can. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see um, how this season goes for them. I think Pedersen needs to have a big season. He had a kind of an underwhelming season last year, did he not? Um, so they got to figure it out. Demko's going to be a star. Um, Demko's always going to be. He's, he's been great. Hughes is great as well. He doesn't get much help back there, but he's great. Besser's, I don't know, coming in. But we talked about it. He had some personal issues that he was dealing with last season. Um, so hopefully, for Canucks fans' sake, they can figure it out. But it's going to be really fun to watch. We'll be sure to check in on them every once in a while throughout the season. Yeah, it's kind of funny to say that um, Elias Pettersson had an underwhelming season because it, it is true because he put up, I think, 65-ish to 70 points in his first year or something in the 60-pluses, and then everyone thought that this would be the breakout year where he puts up 90 or 85, and then he had the same kind of season. So while he didn't get worse, um, he's not exactly panning out to be the superstar that everyone expected him to be. And I mean, I, I think that's honestly true for a lot of the young prospects that are on that team. Like you just mentioned with Hughes, with Besser, they had big expectations for these guys to take massive leaps and they haven't. But who knows? Maybe under Bruce Brujo, something can change. But um, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We spent some time talking about um, a bunch of Canadian teams. We are now going to go a little bit more broadly, um, take a more... Um, um, outside view of the NHL. The season starts in, I think, a week or a week and a half. Um, I think we would um, be remiss not to give our early season um, NHL trophy predictions. Um, I think the way we're going to do it here is because um, there are these technical difficulties where we're only operating on one mic. Maybe I'll start off by discussing my heart and Richard, and then you go hard and Richard, and then you can talk about the next two trophies. Um, first and foremost, starting into next season, who I think is going to win the heart. I mean, it's so tough to bet against Connor McDavid. I mean, that is just the, I mean, it's, it's the bad answer to give because it's not super like hot takey, but I think it's the best answer out there. I mean, he's the betting favorite every year. I think honestly, and this hurts me to say as a Leaf fan that if Austin didn't put up 60 last year, I think if he put up like 58 or 59, Connor McDavid might have won. Like Connor McDavid had a huge year last year. I don't think Austin Matthews is going to put up 60 again next year. Not be not just because I don't think he's good enough. He's more than good enough. It's just so hard to put up back-to-back 60 goal seasons. I think Vegas has the line on um Austin Matthews at like 56 and a half right now. And what that means is if Austin Matthews puts up 56 goals and 100 points, but McDavid puts up 45 and 125 points, which is pretty likely for him, he's probably going to win the heart. Also, I think the Oilers are more motivated this year than any other year. I mean, last year, Connor McDavid finally got a taste of what it means to play in late April, early May. Um, Western Conference Finals, I mean, they got bounced pretty hard, but they beat their um their their, their hometown 
arch nemesis in, in Calgary pretty convincingly. Um, you saw how badly he wanted to win. And I think they're going to come out this year with a much better team, having Campbell the whole year and having Evander Kane the whole year, possibly getting Patrick Kane as well. He's going to come out firing. I wouldn't be surprised if he puts up 130, which isn't even that much of a hot take considering I think he had 120-something this year. Um, next, Rocky Richard, once again, betting favorite. There's only really one answer here. I mean, I think the answer is obviously Austin Matthews. The dude's literally on pace for 45 every year. I got a lot of hate in the comments section of our last TikTok saying, oh, Austin Matthews doesn't put up 60 every year. I apologize. I meant that he's on pace to be putting up 50-ish every year, not that he puts it up. Um, Austin Matthews is, I think, the best goal scorer in the NHL, and I don't think anybody would disagree with me. Um, do I think he's the best overall goal scorer throughout his entire tenure? No, that's obviously Alexander Ovechkin, but if there's one guy you want to score you a goal, it's Austin Matthews. I think there's an outside shot here, though, that Kirill Kaprizov does some damage. Um, he's my 1B pick above Leon Dreitseidel, and the reason why I say that is because Kirill Kaprizov put up, I think, 47 goals last year on a pretty stacked offensive team with Fiala gone. The dude is a lock to tuck 40. He's going to get virtually every shot, every high-danger chance on that power play. Um, I think he's going to get a lot of chances. I would not be surprised to see Kirill Kaprizov go off and put up 50-something. Yeah, I love I love Kirill. So if he wins the Rocket, if it can't be Austin, I would love for it to be Kirill. Well, that's... I'll start with my Hart trophy, but I have someone different than both of those for my Rocket, so I'll, I'll tease that for a second. Yeah, Hart, I mean, I'll be quick here. It's McDavid. It's It has to be him. I think there's, like, we talked about it. I think there's voter fatigue with him because he's just so good. It's just, let's change it up. But he somehow only won twice in, since he's been in the league. I think that's going to change. I think he's going to get his third this year. I think the Edmonton Oilers are going to have a stupid good, like, regular season. I don't know if it's going to translate to a great playoffs. We have to wait and see, but I'm, I'm so convinced that they're going to finish top of the Pacific and that they're going to get like 110 points or something. I don't know why. I just think they're going to have a crazy uh, regular season. And so building off that, if they're going to have a crazy uh, a crazy regular season, it means that not only is McDavid a beast, but Drysaddle is going to have another incredible year. So that's why I have him as my Rocket winner. And again, it could, it could easily be Matthews. It could easily be Kaprizov. I just think that I'm, and I'm, I'm basing this off the idea, like I said, that the Oilers are going to have a stupid regular season. And if they do, Drysaddle is going to be getting 55 to 60, I would imagine, to win the Rocket. And I think if they have a crazy regular season, he can reach that number. Like It's pretty attainable for him to get that. So I think he's going to win the Rocket. Um, I'll move on to the Selkie. Okay, we'll keep it, we'll keep it uh, forwards for now. I think Barkov is going to come back and win it. I think Barkov is going to be, he's always one of the best, but now also I think a big factor that comes into play is when you're, when you're a forward, the people who you play with have a big impact on your defensive numbers as well because he plays a line. And if he's going to be with Matthew Kachuk, we know that Kachuk had a great defensive season last year with Daryl Sutter. So he's going to bring some of that, um, some of that defensive acumen with him, if, like if we'll say, and just purely defensively speaking, if you're swapping out Huberto for Kachuk, you get better defensively. So I think that's only going to add to Barkov's defensive value. So I think for Selkie wise, I think it's going to be it's going to be Barkov. Um, and then I'll I'll stick one more Norris. I mean, Kale McCarr. Do I even need to say more? He's unequivocally the best defenseman in the league, unless he gets hurt or for some reason is not Kale McCarr. I think he has this locked up. I think it's he's probably going to get like. 30 goals or something stupid like that. You got Clinton, you get close to that last season. He had like 27 or 28, which is ridiculous. I think it's going to be his until he doesn't want it to be anymore. 
um, or until he becomes the Conor McDavid of, def- of defensemen, where every year we just want to switch it up because we don't want to keep voting him in. But who are your Selkie and, and Norris guys? Yeah, um, I didn't even prep a Norris winner because I thought it was pretty consensus going to be Kale McCarr. I mean, he seems to be getting better every single year, which is extremely scary. On a contribution per dollar cap spent in the NHL, he's probably got the best contract in the league, which is really freaky considering he makes, what, nine and a half or something like that. Yeah, I have Nor- I have Kale McCarr winning the Norris. Selkie, we're going to um, also agree here. Barkov, for a different reason, though. I didn't even think of the Kachuk for Huberto swap. That's honestly a great point, probably the better point than the one that I have. But what I will say here is I think even more so than the Hart Trophy, the Selkie Trophy is probably the one where there's the biggest amount of voter fatigue just because Patrice Bergeron wins it every single year. And this is the first time in a while that Bergeron's going to miss the first half of the year. And I think if there is a chance for these voters to give the Selkie to someone other than Bergeron, it might be this year. Also, we've um, explained this a lot of times, like Barkov literally finishes second in every defensive stat for fours every single year next to Patrice Bergeron. When you mix it with the fact that Bergeron's going to be out for after year, might not just be eligible for this trophy because he's been he's going to be out for so long. I think Barkov is kind of a lock for it this year, to be honest. And I didn't even think of the Kachuk um, point. Yeah, the, that, that line, if it's Kachuk, and Barkov is going to be one of the better defensive and offensive lines in the NHL. When we have those conversations about who we think the best line in the NHL is this year, that that line may get a shout, even if like Patrick Maroon plays on the left wing. <laughs> um, 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 what what trophies are left? We'll talk about the Art Ross. I mean, be really quick here. I'm pretty. I'm not even going to look at your notes. It's going to be Connor McDavid, right? We won't even talk too much about that. I think the last important one to talk about here is the Vesna Trophy. Um, remember for anybody, um, who's going to give me hate for this pick, the Vesna is given to the best regular season goalie, unless I'm confused, there is no, um, playoff contribution to this. The answer I'm going to give is a bit out in left field. It is not one of the top two goalies in the league. I'm not going Vasilevsky because I don't think, um, the, oh my gosh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to have, um, the year that warrants a Vesna win. I'm not going to go Shesterkin as well because I think the Metro got a little bit better. I'm going to go with, um, Jacob Markstrom. The reason why I go with Jacob Markstrom here is because this team is honestly better defensively this year than they've been any other year. That defensive top six hasn't changed much, and they've added Mackenzie Weger, who's one of the better defensive defensemen in the NHL. Um, Tanev is healthy. Markstrom is like a phenomenal regular season goalie. In the playoffs, you know, it wasn't phenomenal, but doesn't doesn't factor into this trophy as well. And for all those people saying that Markstrom um, was terrible against the Oilers, I go back to those Daryl Sutter comments where he said, maybe we're not playing poorly and we're just getting matched up against two of the best players in the league at literally the worst time when they're playing out of their minds. And I just think that the offense was too much for any of that team to handle. Um, although the Pacific is better, this year than it was in other years. I still think it's one of the weaker divisions in the league. I think um, Jakob Markstrom, especially because he, I don't even know who the backup goalie is there. Is it Riddick? Vladar, uh, Vladar that's who it is. Um, he's probably not going to play that many games considering that I watch a lot of Flames um, hockey games and didn't know who um, their backup was right off the rip. Tells me that Markstrom's going to get a lot of games, going to rack up wins. I think Jakob Markstrom is my Vesna winner. That's a good pick. I was actually, I think he was my guy, like my second. I was debating between him and the guy I ended up picking. I ended up picking Sorokin. Um, I I picked him just because the way these votes always work, it's like this across, it's like this for the heart too, even sometimes for the Norris. It's either the, the best team in the league and a good goalie. So when Tampa was dominating and Vasilevsky was great, he won it. 
or it goes to a team who barely squeaked into the playoffs and there was one player on that team who carried them there, like dragged them there. And I think that Islanders are going to be a playoff team. I don't think they're going to be a divisional team. So I think they're going to make it in the wild card. And I think Sorokin showed last year that he can be a truly elite goalie. He's probably on the cusp of being top five in the league. I think this year he's going to cement himself as a top three goalie in the league because he's going to drag this Islanders team to the playoffs. And just I'm just thinking about how do these voters usually vote? It's usually, like I said, a team that gets dragged into the playoffs by an incredible performance. And so I think that um, Sorokin has a really good chance if he can maintain those numbers and the Islanders don't suck like they did last year. They have a really good chance of making it, and I think he has a good chance of winning the Vesna uh, as a result. We're just going to take a brief intermission here to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, Manabout Town. Located in North York, Ontario, Manabout Town is ready to support you with all of your pregame luxury wear. Ranging from sharp suits to sleek shirts and pristine ties, Manabout Town is here to elevate your game to the next level. Visit Manabout Town today or find them on Instagram at manabouttown265 to learn more about how they can assist you. We're going to... I actually want to move on. We get to move on. Okay, let's move on. Um, speaking of guys, we just talked about the Norris. Um, two two previous Norris Trophy winners actually retired, kind of sadly, honestly, because they were a big part of our childhood watching the game. Um, but Chara and Subban retired. Um, kind of sad. What are your first sort of thoughts? We're gonna talk about are they Hall of Famers, but what are your just first thoughts when you think of these two guys? that come to mind. Dano Chara, Big Bad Bruins, P.K. Subban, probably more well-known for his time on the Habs. What comes to mind for you? Did Dano Chara win a Norse trophy? I don't... He did. Wow, okay. Then a lot of my opinions are going to change. I didn't think that he won a Norse trophy. Um, assuming that he did, first and foremost, P.K. Subban and Dano Chara are two of the best, I would say, um, defenseman to ever play the game of hockey. And when I say best, I obviously don't mean top five, but I'm thinking like top 40, top 50. Like, I think that still qualifies as up there. Like, um, when we talk about the overall careers of both of them, like nothing but respect for both of them. P.K. Subban, 834 games played, 467 points, 115 goals. One of the more prolific offensive defensemen in the NHL. When we look at Zdeno Chara, 1,680 games played over the course of his career, 680 points, 209 goals. I mean, three cup finals, one Stanley Cup. Um, Zdeno Chara, I now learned, won a Norris Trophy. Maybe I just blocked that out of my mind because I just hate everyone who plays on the Boston Bruins. Nothing but respect for him there. I also, um, when I was doing my research, totally forgot that he played for the New York Islanders for a very for a very large part, um, which made that return at the end so nostalgic. When we look back at P.K. Subban, he won a Norris in 2013 and actually tied the tang for the highest scoring that year as a defenseman. Both of these players are are unbelievable, especially in their primes, um, or two of the better defensemen in the league. Um, when we talk about um, Hall of Fame status, I think Zdeno Chara is a lock for the NHL um, first ballot. I don't know, but he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I think Subban is a little bit more. I mean, like he's on the cusp. He has won a Norris. Problem is they haven't done he hasn't done much in the playoffs. His career was also somewhat shortened, unfortunately, because. He um he had that um, back injury, which is really sad to say. But I mean, in order to make the Hall of Fame, you got to be playing for a long time. Um, I'll ask you about your Hall of Fame predictions. But one thing I want to ask you first is that overall, who would you rather have on your team? I got I saw this question on Twitter. I'll answer it first. I think Zdeno had the better overall career 
right? Like I said, he's a he's a guaranteed Hall of Famer. But I think in his prime, PK Subban was the better player. Um, they're they're two completely different types of uh, NHL defensemen. One is a more Victor Hedman shut down, big body defenseman that are very tough to find. But the other one is like an Eric Carlson type of like Makar player who is like very flashy offensive defenseman type player. And Subban also wasn't a, a bad defensive defenseman. I just think finding those Carlsons, those Makars to give you that extra like scoring depth on the D line are just so tough to find. They're tougher to find than like shut down defensemen. I think I would take PK Subban in his prime, but I take Chara's overall career. Yeah, I agree. I think Subban was so dynamic in his in his prime that he was just he was such a game changer. Um, it's I don't I think if you're asking me who would I take right now, like in 2022, I would take prime Subban just because the the game is more set up for a player like that to thrive. But also Chara Chara grew up in the right era because in the when he when he was coming into the league in the early 2000s and whatnot. That that's when you had those big shutdown defensemen thriving. So I think it's actually kind of funny that they both sort of came up in an era where their skills were well suited to the state of the game. So and, and so in saying that moving forward, I'd probably want to take Subban, but it's also it's also just so rare to find a guy like Chara who's that big, who's that mean, but can also like chip in with a power play goal here or there, or a big shot from the point, who can kill penalties among the best in the league. Like you said, completely different players. But yeah, I think I would have to opt for Subban in his prime. And in saying that, I don't actually know if Subban's a Hall of Famer. He just, like, for me, it's always a what if. It's a what if Subban didn't get didn't get a back injury. What if Subban won that cup final um, against the Pens when they made it all the way there with the Predators? It's it's just so much what if. I, if he didn't get hurt and he was able to be PK Subban for longer, I think it's undoubtedly he is a Hall of Famer. I just don't know if he had the longevity one thing I think in Subban's defense, and I think this does, I think people maybe don't think this should count, but I think it should. I think your contribution off the ice should actually have a bit of an impact on if you become a Hall of Famer. Because what Subban did for the game, he had a personality before that was cool in hockey. He was himself and he didn't care what other people thought, which is so, so, like something that you can appreciate looking back especially as someone who already had a target on his back coming into the league because he was a personality in junior because of this, that, and the other. He had a target on his back coming in, and he said, no, I don't care. I'm still going to be me, and you can pay the consequences when I win at Norris, and you can all eat your words, and I love that about him. Also, let's not forget that he donated tens of millions of dollars to children's hospitals in Montreal and really made a connection with the league, with the city and the people there. I think that all stands for something, and so if, if, if his honest contributions maybe don't get him there, I think that his office contributions, what he did for the game, what he did for the city, and what he meant to that organization for a long time in Montreal, I think it should count for something. And if it's a tiebreaker between him and someone who didn't have those same office contributions, I don't want him in there for that. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think um, the NHL is still a little bit archaic in the sense that they only consider on-ice performance. I think off-ice performance, like I've said multiple times, is very important because at the end of the day, these NHL players are equally um, role models for young kids as they are entertainers for older adults that watch hockey. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that um, P.K. Subban's like, off-ice um, amazingness should contribute to his um, his, his Hall of Fame argument. Um, and also, don't forget, there are some pretty crappy people in the Hall of Fame right now. And ho- hockey's having a bit of a you know, culture cleanse. I, mean, I don't know if it's cleansing itself yet, but it's some of the demons are being exercised in terms of 
kind of the shady things that have happened in the past unfortunately continue to happen so i think a little change in maybe how we think about hall of famers and putting more emphasis on uh, is this a good person who's also good at hockey and not just rewarding potentially bad people who are very good at hockey i think is a change that the sport needs because like you said their role models they mean more than what they do on the ice so i think a change or a shift in terms of how we think about hall of famers is is necessary yeah no i'm much agreed very well said are we um are we cool to move on um speaking of the word shift um i think one of the penultimate things that we will talk about on this episode are players that have shifted towards either signing with new teams or with signing new deals. Um, we're going to talk about which player signed this offseason will have the best career, sorry, best year relative um, to how they've been the whole career. And the reason why I have that caveat about relative to how they've been their whole career is because if I just say which season, which newly signed player is going to have the best season, I think Jonathan Huberto is obviously the answer to both um, to both of our arguments there. But relative to last year, I am going to say Kevin Fiala is going to be the best player relative to when he was signed last year. And the reason why I say this is because last year, and I had this, um, I, I made a video about this on TikTok, so I won't repeat myself too much. Last year, Kevin Fiala had, I think, 85 points in 82 games last year. He did that playing, I think, 15 or 16 minutes a night and there were times where in big games Dean Evison would only play him 11 or 12 minutes I don't think he liked him very much as a player um, I know a lot of people might say oh you don't know what happens in the dressing room but I did follow Kevin Fiala quite hard last year because he was on my fantasy team for a while nothing made me more upset was when during big games um, and power plays like he was being held off the first line power play he was playing 11 12 minutes a night like I said about this power play there was a large majority of the year last year where Kevin Fiala an 85 point player was left off of that first line power play he was also on a line with an up-and-coming Matt Boldy who was a rookie still finding his way into the league although he had um, some success early on. He was also playing with the centerman. I think his name's Frederick Gauthier or something Gauthier. I, um, I can't remember. I always mix him up with um with the other Gauthier that played for the for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But the argument I'm trying to make here is that Kevin Fiala put up 85 points, not playing that many minutes, not being on the first line power play all year, being on a line that relative to other 85 point players um was not very good. Um, and now you have a player going to a completely new team fresh off a new contract deal, wants to um, really prove himself in this league. He's entering his prime. I know he's 26 years old, but usually like for um, for NHL wingers, like the prime is, I would say, about 25 to 30-ish. Um, he's going to be playing with, contrary to Boldy and Gauthier, with a 35-goal scorer in Adrian Kempe, with, with, um, with one of the better play drivers in the league with Anze Kopitar, one of the better puck distributors, veteran player, captain's captain. Um, he's going to be definitely getting 20-plus minutes a night. And the most important thing here is that he's going to be on a better power play for the entirety of the NHL season. If that doesn't translate into 10 more points, I don't know what does. Um, <laughs> if it translates to 10 more points, Kevin Fiala is going to rip 95 points this year. And I think he's one of the biggest sleepers in fantasy. I know people might look at me like I'm crazy because 95 points is a crazy year. But if this guy put eight, put up 85 points last year with all the points I just mentioned, how does he not at least hit 90 this year? I mean, the only way he doesn't is if he doesn't play a full season. But I'm excited to see Kevin Fiala. And also, Kevin, you're on my fantasy team this year. Please step up for the boys. You're my first round pick in a keeper league. Please. I got to go. Um, I, I lost last year in, in the finals Um, pretty hard. Um. Reach for the Stars wants to make a comeback this year. We want to win it all. Yeah, no no bias at all in that answer. Um, I think to th this player wasn't signed as a free agent, but he did just sign an extension with his team. So if that counts, that's good. 
Um, I'm picking Matthew Joseph on the Senators. And because I remember when he came, one of his first games after he got traded, I think he put up like either four goals or four points, something stupid like that. And that was so people were saying that may be a sign of things to come because on that Tampa Bay team, he was buried on the third, sometimes even fourth line. And although he will be buried again on the third line, I think in Ottawa, just the way their top six shakes out, I don't think all teams are, are equal. The top, the top, the bottom six in Tampa Bay had a very specific role, and that was to just they didn't necessarily have to score. I think in Ottawa, they're gonna, he's going to get more of an opportunity because maybe the the high end of their top six in Ottawa isn't as high end as the top six in Tampa, so he's just going to get more even even um, even strength time. And also, I could see him sneaking onto us to a second power play when he would have never gotten a shot on the power play in Tampa Bay. So I think Matthew Joseph has an opportunity to take another step and if the if his first few months in ottawa last season after being traded is a sign of things to come i think he can he can come uh and have a big season even as a third liner on an up-and-coming team i think they're going to be offensively a team that scores a lot of goals yeah they're going to let in a lot of goals but i think matthew joseph is going to see a nice bump um in his stats we okay um, I was actually, you know, who I was really close to picking as well was Burakovsky. I was close to picking him because he's going to get a chance on Seattle's first line. But this transitions really well, the thought of Burakovsky. So I actually want to talk a little bit about the Kraken. We don't spend enough time talking about the Kraken or the um, like the fact that they're an expansion because they were kind of irrelevant last year. But I want to talk about them because I saw this thing on Instagram that said, who do you think is going to win the cup first between these two expansion teams, Vegas or Seattle? And I actually think it's going to be Seattle. And I say that because I just, one, because I don't have faith in what the Knights are doing. They they have a window here based on the age of their players to win in the next three years. I just don't think they're capable of that. One, because their goaltending is volatile. And also because they're just, seem they seem like they're, they're run pretty poorly. And I don't know if they have the depth to make a cup run after they had to, you know, give away quite a few players for free, make the cap work. And the cap sucks. I, th- I think if Vegas, if this was three years in advance and Vegas had the same team where they had room to make changes and to make signings, I think they would be fine. But I do think the Kraken are going to win a cup before Vegas. And I say that um, because I kind of like the direction that Seattle is going in. They got a lot of stick last year for being irrelevant. I think that's because we just thought for whatever reason that expansion teams were supposed to be good after Vegas went on their run. But the norm is that, yeah, Expansion teams are, are bad for a little bit. They recoup assets, and then they, they take a step in, let's say, the next three to five years. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. They have a core of veneers and right to build around, which is a pretty great young one-two punch. I think they have a ton of cap space as well. Well, they use some of it this offseason, as they should, but they have a lot of cap space. That's only going to get more cap space as the, as the years progress. They can use that cap space to get more assets. I think Ron Francis is doing a, a relatively decent job. I think that's going to manifest in them at least being um, really strong competitors for a cup before Vegas can get out of whatever situation that they're in. Because when Vegas sucks again, they're going to suck because they have no no assets, no prospects, and an old core. Once that time is up, they're going to be screwed. I think Seattle is going to be on the come up by the time uh, Vegas is on their way down. I mean, yeah, it's tough to argue with that. It's just like my, my Vegas bias is going to point me in the other direction. And, and this is the reason why I'm going to say it. Um, while Beneers and Maddie Wright do look like, um, sorry, Maddie Wright. Maddie Wright was a guy I used to play hockey with as a kid. 
in the zero percent chance anyone from Shamanad is listening to this, Matthew Wright, you just got a shout out on for the review because Matthew Beneers and Shane Wright um, are looking like two of the better young centermen core in the league. I'm still hesitant to say that this team is is has the superstar level to win a cup. And what I mean, obviously they don't have it right now, but you would need Matty Beneers, you would need Shane Wright to turn into two of the better NHL players because you need superstars to win. With that being said, Matthew Beneers went off in the 10 games that he played last year and in the preseason this year looked has looked phenomenal. That goal that he scored from the outside hash marks that went top cheddar. I don't know what goalie it was, but any NHL or AHL goalie needs to stop that. But his shot was a rocket. The guy looks like he's going to be legit. But the reason very quickly why I will say Vegas is because regardless of the fact that they're dysfunctional, I mean, Jack Eichel's healthy again. They have the superstars in Jack Eichel and in Mark Stone and Petrangelo and Theodore. Um, and I think their saving grace is Bruce Cassidy. I think he's going to be that guy to um to weather the storm. Um. Let's get one thing straight. If Vegas doesn't win, not this year, because this year's a wash with the lack of Robin Leonard. Um, if they don't win the year after or the year after that, I mean, this team's going to be bad for a very long time, like you said. Um, I just think that in general, it is really tough for a team to win a cup just because they need to assemble a team that's good enough and then they need to win. I'm going to choose Vegas because the team on paper is assembled and I don't know if Seattle will ever be able to assemble it. I hope they do because I want to see both Matthew and Shane Wright Win an NHL Cup. <laughs> um, I think that's all that we have um, for the um, new onset teams that we are going to discuss here. Oh, actually, the last thing that I was going to say is you made a really good point. You said that um, I think a lot of NHL fans have been very privileged and brainwashed with respect to what they think um, and, and a new team in the NHL should be doing because of what they saw with Vegas. If you took Vegas out of the picture and Seattle had the exact same come up that they have had um, with being the first expansion team in a very long time, I think a lot of people would have graded that expansion team as an A to an A+. Like they were able to draft Matty Beniers and Shane Wright very early on, looking like two very good players. They were able to get a good goalie in Philip Grubauer who looked bad last year because the team was terrible. But overall, like the pieces are there. Like the team is has a foundation to be good enough. I think they did okay in the draft. I think they have done very well in spending this cap. And yeah, I think they're going to be um, relatively good moving forward. But the last thing that we will talk about on this podcast and we saved it to the end because it should be incredibly insignificant in my opinion but um old time nhl fans like to talk about the good old days so we'll discuss it a bit our nhl jersey sponsors um recently um a lot of teams in the nhl um have come up with sponsors um on like the upper left portion of the team's jersey. I think the, the Toronto Maple Leafs had the milk sponsor, um, which on an off note, or upper right, excuse me, on an off note, m- like matches very well to the team's jerseys. The only team that didn't do it, I believe, was the Edmonton Oilers, and they and they got all up on their pedestal and said, oh, you know, like our jersey means more to us than, than one sponsorship, like blah, blah, blah. It might not have been the Oilers. It, it was a big-time NHL team. Um, we're going to talk about... Um, what we think about these jersey sponsors and, and, and I'll go first so I don't have to we don't have to pass this mic over a bunch of times um, like guys give it a rest like give it a rest I asked before this podcast 10 to 15 um, NHL fans at ANU throughout my family and my friends about who is 
the helmet sponsor for the Toronto Maple Leafs last year. You know, 85% of them didn't even know we had a helmet sponsor. One of them was able to guess who it was, and the other two knew that we had a sponsor, but forgot about it halfway through the year because it meshed so well with the jerseys. Like, TikTok was a sponsor for the NA, for the Leafs helmets. Like, the, the argument that I'm trying to make is that in two months, nobody is going to notice this. Nobody's going to notice this. Like, who cares? I, I, th- I think Jordy Ben said it perfectly. He goes, I, I like milk. I mean... <laughs> I like milk. What's the big deal? We've we've been hearing about all of these jokes about um the leaves are best before April twenty sixth, just like expired milk, blah, blah, blah. All those jokes are funny. I think this is gonna be good for the league. It adds a source of extra revenue generation and no one's gonna notice it. The only like somewhat credible argument against it I can see is that people might go oh but you know this is how it starts with the logos pretty soon like there's going to be logos all over the jerseys like give me a break this isn't the Swiss league that's not going to happen this this um the NHL has a lot of alternative ways to generate revenue whereas other organizations NHL sorry other hockey leagues in Europe don't because their TV deals aren't as big so they have to rely on sponsorships more so the NHL will never get to a point where a jersey advertisements are their main source of revenue. Um, I think one crest on the upper right corner of a jersey isn't gonna isn't gonna erase all of the history that the NHL has ever had. Yeah, no, I I I, com- I completely agree. Like like with the jersey sponsors, we're gonna forget. We're not gonna be able to see it on TV. I think Milk only cares when people are wearing their jersey in the street and they get that brand recognition. But on the ice, you literally can't even see it. So I think it's not not a huge deal. You, you talked about extra income. On the Chris Johnson show, they talked about the fact that all of these jersey sponsor deals are are supposed to range anywhere between five and ten million. So that means they're going to be between one hundred and sixty and three hundred twenty million more dollars for the league to have towards hockey related revenue. So if you're a fan who wants a cap to go up, you also can't be complaining about this because this is going to contribute significantly to the cap going up in recent years. So if you want your team to compete and you want your team to be able to spend more money, just take the fact that we have sponsors and in four months you're going to forget and when your team can spend up to 90 million dollars in a couple of years then what we'll, we'll be laughing as fans because we get to see our teams be better so i think it's actually a really good thing i think the crowd who hates the jersey sponsors are a lot less but they're really loud so that's why we talk about it but i think the sponsors are a good thing i don't think it'll get to the point where we have four jersey sponsors i can see at most them having one at the bottom of the jersey on the back underneath the number because i don't think there's some soccer teams who do that but more than two would be a stretch. I don't think we're ever going to see that. I think we all just need to be happy that the league's finding more ways to make money so that the Leafs can go and win a cup. And with that, I think we're done. Yeah, I mean, there's not much more that I want to end off on. I think um, I'm hoping that this year um, the expiry date for um, for lactose milk goes a little bit longer than the end of April because I want to see the Leafs win a cup. Um we talked about and broke down a lot with what the Leafs are going into next year with uh, with Massimo, Leafs fan MD. Once again, thank you so much for that interview. We really appreciated it. We hope and we do think we're going to have him on the podcast um, in the near future throughout the year because although um, we try to be as unbiased as possible, we do live in Toronto. We follow the Leafs more so than any other team and um, he has a lot of knowledge about the Toronto Maple Leafs so um, we vibe very well. I don't have much else to say. Um, our next episode will probably be when the season starts. We're going to be trying to move um, more so to a to a weekly or two out of three weeks that we're going to start recording now instead of going purely bi-weekly because we hope that there's going to be more to talk about now that the season started, but we will see how um, the year plays out. We're going to try to do our best to promote some regular content, and that's all I have to say. Any last words to end it off? No, I hope you enjoy the 
first week or so of the season before we check back in. But see you in a couple weeks, if not. Yeah, see you in a couple weeks. Nate, donate some money to the pod so we can afford two mics. See you all next week. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Upon Further Review Podcast. We'll see you all next week.